holding cash right now is not losing money. And mm-hmm. if the stock market eviscerated about $70 billion in value on Monday mm-hmm. after Powell's commentary, actually it was Friday, I believe, after Powell's commentary, and you didn't lose any money because you were holding cash, that's great. And people are saying, okay, well, cash, the dollar's going down, blah, 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 inflation going up means there's less value in that. Yeah, possibly. But the only true hedge for inflation is to keep making the investments you normally would make. Yeah. And making them strategically expecting and planning for the recessionary economy. This is where a tremendous amount of wealth has been made. If you were smart and talented in uh, investment ambidextrous, if you will, during the recession of the COVID pandemic, Mm -hmm. you bought real estate at lows. Right. With really low interest rates. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, Relax your mind and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everybody in between, this is the Higher Standard Podcast, and I am the Liam Neeson of podcasting, the Jeff Goldblum of podcasting, and... Sitting next to me is the Barry White of podcasting with my sultry voice. Yes, yeah, Saeed's a little excited about reviews. <laughs> uh, we got some really good ones in the last couple of days. And thank you for those of you who listened to the show and took the liberty uh, and time out of your day to, to leave us a review. We do appreciate them. We do appreciate them, except all of them are not exactly clear. There's one in particular from a lovely uh, listener named Lizeth. We need more episodes a week. Lizeth, we want to bring you more episodes a week. We are currently relocating to a studio. Which Chris just got done painting. Well, and Saeed supervised. Yeah. And he didn't let me contribute. Well, I wanted you to contribute. You were, my, my, you were supposed to be giving me back massages and foot massages <laughs> while I was doing it, but you didn't do it. Lizeth goes on to say, great stuff. Thank you. I'm definitely learning more with each episode. Awesome. We are trying to educate and, and try to really stack the content on one another. So the longer you listen and the more episodes you get in, hopefully that'll happen for you. Thanks for the great content. Well, thank you for the great review. Chris is funny and a little arrogant. Yes. Perens, which is funny. And Saeed is level-headed and quick. Great podcast. Level-headed. I mean, I'll take that. And quick. <laughs> and quick. And quick. I, I, am, I am very happy with this review. I'm I, assuming she means I'm athletic. I'm very quick. No, it was not a speed thing. No. That, that, is, that is 100% no, not, I, not accurate, but... Yeah. But it was also not a quick joke. It took some time to make it. You know what? This whole review is wrong for a number of reasons. Uh, but we thought the review was great. Thank you for that. There's also another one that came out uh, I thought was interesting. Great duo. I love Saeed's wittiness. Man, I'm getting some love. Thank You're you, everybody. Way more love than you should on this shit. 
Great information as always. That's awesome. We need to see Saeed on social media. Want to put a face to that sultry voice. Very wide of podcasting. Tell them the truth, Saeed. Okay. What did you have to do? Oh, yeah. I had to look up what sultry voice meant. I did not want to believe that it was a good thing. Yeah, Saeed, uh, Saeed's SAT vocabulary is a little bit lacking. I actually feel and like... I say that because I'm arrogant. I, yeah, you're arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> I actually feel like I have a terrible voice. So, whoever wrote that, thank you. You really don't. In all honesty, as much as I like to make fun of you, I, I, I do think that your voice is better situated for a podcast than mine. So, future solo segment coming out? Yeah, man, you should do that. But, yeah. but let's, uh, let's not digress too far. All right. Our friend, your friend, Jerome Powell, mm. as we predicted in the last episode, came out for the press conference after the Jackson Hole meeting that they always do annually. Right. And he made some statements, statements that were pretty impactful. They actually eviscerated about $70 billion in value from the market the next day. Yep. Because he warned, and this is a quote, of some pain ahead right. as the Fed tightens, fight, the Fed fights to bring down inflation. We, I've, I thought... We should really do this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get one of the, I'm going to give you control over one button on the sound panel. Yes. Just one. Yes. And it's going to be a button when you push it. It says reading rainbow. <laughs> Every time I mess Every up. Every time you make a mistake. Yeah. Yes. So Powell warns of some pain ahead as the Fed tightens to bring down inflation. And it goes on to say uh, some pretty, pretty interesting things, but I'll give you the synopsis in one quick short sentence. In his annual Jackson Hole policy speech, Powell added that higher interest rates likely will persist. Quote, for some time, the historical record cautions strongly against prematurely loosening policy. Mm -hmm. And for those of you out there who've listened to the previous episode, you know that uh, Jerome Powell is a big admirer of Paul Volcker. And Volcker was uh, one of the harshest and most delineated when it came to raising Fed interest rates. And as a result of that, I think and this speech and some of the things we've seen, uh, recently, the increased odds on Bloomberg's probability index for a 75 basis point increase in September, which I predicted on the last episode, you did predict, have have actually increased even more. Mm -hmm. So as a result of all of this, that is likely that is the overwhelming likelihood uh, currently as a prediction is. Now, there are two more prints before then. Right. Inflation and jobs and jobs. Right. And Both that which is indicators. jobs reports going to be released this Friday. Yep. Oh, um, look at you. Yeah, man. First Friday of every month. And the CPI will be uh, released on September 13th. So the Fed will have access to both those reports. And unless there's a, a, a big surprise there, and I don't think there really is anything that we can foresee coming, clearly the jobs reports can wind up being more unemployment, but that's not necessarily an unexpected or a bad thing. And it's something that they're aiming for. It's, they're aiming for, exactly. And mm -hmm. that has been one of the big emotional disconnects I think that most people had when it came to understanding what we're talking about. In 2008, if you want to go back, we did not know we were in a recession in 2008 until Enber, National Bureau of Economic Research, declared a recession almost a year later. So we look back on it and we say, oh, 2007, 2008, that was a recessionary economy. We felt it in 2007. 2008, we didn't know we were in a recessionary economy. It's only looking back, hindsight being 2020, that we recognize mm -hmm. that. I have no doubt that the National Bureau of Economic Research will, at some point in the future, declare the period that we are in currently, and if not always... Back to January 1st, a recession. Mm -hmm. So for anybody who thinks, and I heard a lot of this rhetoric, I think you and I talked about Ryan Pineda on whenever I, I spoke with him was really adamant early in the year, like January, February, that all this Fed tightening was going to wind up with the Fed causing the markets to crash and, and that they were going to have to loosen, they're going to have to loosen uh, policies and, and, and move the other way on rates by the mm -hmm. end of the year. And I would tell you that's exactly what 
what Powell is trying to warn you in the speech that he made at Jackson Hole that right. is not going to happen. Yeah, it's not going to happen. He even came out and said, quote, the economy is going to get worse and it needs to get worse in order to fight off inflation. Yeah, yeah. And it needs to be worse for a prolonged period of time. So I think the Fed's target right now, 375 to four. It's four is what they said. Yeah, it, it will... It's kind of where they're by moving the end to. of the by the end of the year by the end of the year, which means a significant amount more increases, hence the seventy five basis points and possibly right. another one or two after that. So the Bureau of Economic Analysis reported Friday that personal consumption expenditures price index, the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, which is not mine, right, rose six point three percent last month on a year over year basis. That's down from a gain of six point eight percent in June. Mm-hmm. So only point five percent down, right. These are not massive strides. When you think about it year over year, mm-hmm. that's still a, a pretty significant number. And let's just say CPI tracks along with this. It would go from, in theory, 9.1 to 8.5, mm-hmm. maybe down to 8, 8.1. Right. So you're not seeing a tremendous amount of progress, especially when that target right. is 2%, 2 to 3%. Right. So we're a long, long way. We're we're a long ways away. And something that should be noted, I know we're talking about in these types of situations, I like to think about, okay, so he has his Jackson Hole meeting every year, right? Mm -hmm. The Fed has that. So I want to know, what did he say last year? Mm. Right? So he lost a lot of credibility with a lot of people, right? Because last year he said um, inflation would be temporary and that it would be transitory. Yeah, that's where you see all those jokes online on social media where everyone's like, oh, it's transitory. It's just, yeah, it's transitory. so he lost a lot a lot of credibility with people. I mean, central banks took that and ran with it. They didn't plan on doing anything uh, or counter the possibility of future inflation. And this is kind of one of those points where I think pausing to really focus on, on something is important. So this is exactly why we have this podcast. Right. Is you get respected leaders saying things that you can take easily as gospel and people in the industry bankers everybody did it when he said Mm -hmm. you know inflation is transitory it comes and it goes everyone's like ah this is not a big deal right and now yet everyone now is saying the fed should have acted a year ago yeah hindsight monday morning quarterback exactly and and that that's where you have to look at these things without a bias we try Mm -hmm. to bring that to you guys without bias Mm -hmm. and and is is real and as tangible as an experience we can give you without having any kind of emotional connection to the data but the data this entire time has pointed to recessionary economy. It's pointed to a changing landscape. And it's pointed to things like the market needing an adjustment. Right. So for us to sit here and say things like, oh, the Fed's going to back off. Or, oh, this is not going to be that long or that painful. Or, oh, you know, this, the next year things will be better. That is very short-sighted. It is very short-sighted. But something that I think we should also really look at, which I feel like is going to be different for uh, Jerome Powell than what it was for Volcker. I know he looks up to Volcker and he and he's he's hinted at maybe handling it the same way. The difference though is he might not be able to go as strong as Volcker did because when Volcker was uh, had the position, we didn't have thirty one trillion dollars in debt. No, we did not, and he had uh, significantly less political turmoil with Carter in office, and right. it was it was significantly by comparison to today, a much more united front when it came to economic policy between the parties. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is going to be a much more drag, uh, a, a dragged out process. You know, it's not oh, going to, sure it, will be. it won't yeah. be, it, it, he's not going to be able to resolve it in the, what, two years that Volcker did? Well, two very painful years where yeah. we double dipped into a recessionary economy. I, I don't think so either. I think that's also 
ignoring the reality of 14 years of artificial interest rate deflation cannot be undone in a matter of a couple of years. Exactly. If, if economic policy moved that fast, Volcker wouldn't have had to hold it for two years back then. I, I would not be surprised if it took four or five years to really get to where we need to go, mm-hmm. especially with things like the Inflation Reduction Act, not reducing inflation for the short near term. Right. Especially with now states talking about handing out inflation stimulus, which is another ridiculous thing. And, and then you start talking about the money that we're spending in the Ukraine and all the, all the money the United States is printing. Mm-hmm. These things all make inflation worse. We're, it's like saying we're going to go on a budget and we're not going to spend money on eating out, but you're buying new cars and you're buying a bigger house. Yeah, and exactly. That's exactly what we're doing in the government. Right. right. We're, we're literally spending money everywhere we can. While the Fed's job is tightening things down, if we're not all aligned on what we're doing here, including the the White House right. and Congress, right. nothing is going to stop it's nothing, inflation. It's not going to get resolved. Exactly. And I mean, it's it's sad. I mean, we, unemployment numbers are going to go up. You know, I predicted, I know we've seen it trending up already. And I'm predicting that, you know, everyone's going to really see it and feel it come 2023. And here's the crazy thing is, is most recessionary economies that I've looked at in the past have never started this, this low. Yeah. I mean, you can point to the economy and say, well, the labor market and the way, you know, all that stuff is strong. But to me, that's really scary mm-hmm. because if we started the great recession at 5% and moved to 10, right. And that was a, a shorter, narrow window of time, mm-hmm. you know, call it a year and a half, two years. And this may go longer. Yeah. And we're starting at three and a half percent. Are we going to get to 10? That's a lot more people over time that are going to lose their jobs. When you talk about people who already had no job mm-hmm. moving and pivoting. So you basically doubled back then. We could possibly almost triple if we get to 10%. Yeah. Scary, man. Scary, scary times. But we can move on. Oh, actually, I don't know. Before we do that, you see the treasuries today? No. The, uh, the two-year and the 10-year started to, started to have some movement. And it's still an inverted yield curve. Mm-hmm. But the 10-year started to move out, which... To me, Something that you've been talking about. Yeah. So the inverted yield curve has followed, uh, I think almost every recessionary economy that, that the yield curve is inverted has led to a recessionary economy. Mm-hmm. If I want to get the quote of that right. And I've always looked at this as kind of one of my baseline metrics of, of, of how the economy is responding until the yield curve uh, is not inverted and pricing is lower in the two year and higher in the 10 year and so on and so forth. We're, I think we're, we're, we're still in a very, very tumultuous, challenging time. Mm-hmm. And even now, with today's movement, you're not seeing it. The movement to me was a positive sign, though, that that we're beginning to price in a 75 basis point increase, okay. that we're starting to take the Fed seriously, mm-hmm. and that rates are going to move. And yet, still today, I saw an article saying rates in 2023 might drop down to 4.5%. How to plan ahead. <laughs> oh, I thought man. to myself, like, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. like We are literally in the middle of, of a terrible economic situation. And we're looking for all the reasons why this is going to change next year and be rosy and gumdrops and lollipops again. Right. Like, why can't we accept, just like people who are on a diet, why can't you accept this is a lifestyle for a while? Right. It's, I think it's arrogance. And we know that I'm arrogant. <laughs> we know that. <sighs> Big change in the single family world. Mm-hmm. Blackstone, the single family landlord, aka the largest institutional money buyer uh, of single-family properties that that people have been complaining about. And for a little bit of history perspective here, uh, institutional money uh, just about four or five months ago was about 12% of the market. It's bumped up to about 18% of the market now. Okay. 18% of the market are institutional buyers that are trying to buy and become landlords. Blackstone was arguably the largest, if not the clearly the largest. They are halting home purchases in 38 cities. Wow. So these are major cities too. 
they're all major cities. They're all the cities you would expect. And they're all the cities that, that by comparison have had some pretty significant changes in pro forma projections of valuations from all the major rating services. And mm-hmm. we'll get to a little bit of that later on, but to give everybody kind of a recap of, of some of the people in, in the names that have re, redone their year end projections, Moody's, Fitch, yes. the National Association of Realtors and CoreLogic have all come out with new revisions, which suggest significant declines in a number of markets. Uh, Moody's and CoreLogic are saying that over over average uh, at the end of the year will be at a 0% number right. where there's no effective gain or loss on an average nationally, but some markets will lose more than 25%. Right. Uh, and they have an interesting heat map. CoreLogic has a great heat map. If you want to look it up on CoreLogic's website, they have a heat map showing you where they think prices will go down. You can actually zoom in and kind of get like a real time look at where they think. These are the companies that you probably want to look at if you are interested in these types of statistics and don't go towards companies like Zillow, where I think they've also changed it, but they're still projecting, I think a 2% increase in home values where it's like, okay, they have a financial incentive, right? to predict these things to go up, whereas these other companies are now adjusting for other reasons. Yeah, I've never been a fan of Zillow's data. I'm not a huge fan of them. I, I do take argument with the way that the National Association of Realtors present things. Redfin, in my experience, has been somewhat reliable and frankly, a little bit more willing to, to come out and say, hey, like this is not gonna be a good economy. Right, yeah. Which is surprising given kind of their, their position and what they do, but that goes to show you that you don't have to manipulate the data or or characterize things to your audience in order to be in the business yeah exactly they, they, they've seemingly been a little more honest on yeah, i know the ceo's been out in front of all of it yeah he has well there's a lot of people in the real estate space that have made a lot of money and i don't know if you heard the news recently but there's a lot of mortgage lenders that are going out of business already oh yeah already oh yeah i know and there's, there's a lot of talk of, of challenge on some of the biggest ones so wells fargo used to be the largest mortgage lender in the country mm-hmm have now pulled out of correspondent lending as we talked about before and they have repositioned their themselves you got uh, Loan Depot, we talked about on the show before, with significant financial issues, losing mm-hmm. money for the last six months, two quarters in a row, um, repositioning themselves with debt obligations, mm-hmm. uh, as their SEC filing stated. And they're now completely out of wholesale. Right. There are, there are a couple other large lenders. I, I mean, I heard uh, Patrick Bitt David talk about somebody, um, I think it was yesterday. I think the company's name was First Guarantee, if I'm not mistaken. And they did yep. they did twelve billion dollars in loans last year, mm-hmm. and now they're filing for bankruptcy. And that's that's just goes to show you that some of that some of that business really lives and dies on leverage. And the more experienced people out there, we're talking like over six hundred employees. Like yeah, yeah. And then that's you know what kind of bankruptcy was with Chapter Eleven? No, no, I don't. For those of you out there, uh, Chapter Eleven is t- is reorganization. Typically, companies go for reorg as opposed to like a full liquidation bankruptcy. So if you look to see a bankruptcy and you see it's a chapter 11, typically speaking, they will uh, still be able to function in some way, shape or form in the future. Mm-hmm. They just will have a reorganization, a restructuring of their debt. Uh, consumers can also do the same thing for themselves, although it's extremely rare. It's typically a full liquidation when people, consumers get into bankruptcy. But yeah, that's a thing. Uh, so if you see chapter 11, just know that, that company will probably be there, but in a different shape, way or form at some point. Yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a tip there. Uh, at the same time that our friends over at Blackstone are pulling out of the market, uh, according to a Fortune article, these 183 housing markets could soon see home prices fall 20%, according to a Moody's report. Which is what we've said. It's exactly what we said. We said 10 to 15%. Yeah. And, and, and some markets even 20, up to 20. Now, I will say this came from Zandi, mm-hmm. who's their chief economist, who declined to be on the show. <laughs> 
I'm I didn't gonna, know we reached out to him. We did. He was not um, nice about it. Yeah. Okay. Did he give a reason as to why? I believe his consigliere told me that uh, he had no interest for the foreseeable future. Oh, wow. It could be because I go off on expletive-filled fucking rages every 20 minutes, or that I'm not exactly the most politically correct person, but I I figured as an arrogant piece of shit who spends half a million dollars a year on him <laughs> that he would you know, give me the time of day, but I guess I was wrong. Nonetheless, but I want him on the podcast. I, I do like Sandy. I do like his data. I do think he's a very intelligent guy. I use Moody's because I believe in him and, and, and what they do there. This is a quote uh, from that article about Zandy. This week, Zandy let Fortune know that Moody's anal- analytics was downgrading its initial forecast, one of the many uh, changes that I told you guys about. Mm-hmm. Over the coming year, Zandy now predicts U.S. house prices will shift somewhere between 0% to negative 5%. That's on average across the country. Mm-hmm. The major markets that he and other other uh, economic indicators are pointing to is it's also Fitch, it's also CoreLogic have the same areas. Right. They're Southern California, Northern uh, not Northern California as much, but I would say pockets like San Jose, San Francisco. Right. Definitely. Uh, some parts of Texas like Austin. Uh, surprisingly, some parts of like even Idaho and, and areas like that. Definitely Arizona. Definitely parts of Las Vegas. All the same names you remember from the Great Recession are likely to have the largest, somewhere between 10 to in excess of 25% in changes in value. Oh, yeah. The rest of the country, the Midwest, which shout out to Oklahoma, where I own my <laughs> real estate, baby, will be okay. But uh, th- there's certainly a, a tremendous degree of overvaluation in the market that a lot of these financial data aggregators are for real estate are pointing to. And it really is the state you've been hearing a lot about people relocating. Florida, Texas, California, in and out, uh, Arizona a lot to some degree, Texas. Some of the tax shelters for that, for that matter. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's frustrating for me. And to give people a kind of a corollary, in the banking world, you never want to be caught downgrading two levels. Okay. Right? You don't want to go from what would be a good raid to a, a middle raid to a bad raid and skip the middle and just go straight to the bad because it means you weren't watching something and you didn't do your due diligence. So you want, you want to go step by step. You want to go from good to middle, then to bad because you watched it progress over time. You didn't neglect your duties. If you go from good to bad and you right. skip the middle ground. Right. Well, to backtrack a little bit, I think what people may have missed in that is that for every time a bank does a loan, it gets graded. Right. Right. And I, I'm, it's kind of nebulous because essentially you don't want to jump two positions in any, yeah. whatever it is that you're doing. Well, Moody's and everybody else is no different. They don't want to jump their position and go from, hey, we were going to go up in value this year to, right. hey, we're all going to lose money this year. Right. So Moody's, Fitch, CoreLogic, everybody else, they've all said it'll be kind of a 0% on average for the year. But I will bet every cent that I have that these figures get revised absolutely once again before oh, yeah. the year ends oh, yeah. to uh, be a absolutely. negative number across the country. Yeah, they will. Absolutely. On average, they, they have we're going to lose money. They have to because, I mean, this they have their data that they're you know, looking over and analyzing. It has to get adjusted just like just like the Fed, right? They, they get to adjust before every meeting. So the, everyone's going to be that way. I feel like the reason why people think that you're level headed and sharp and witty mm-hmm. is because I serve you up so much good points. I don't know about that, man. I, I think I feel like too, I'm I, dropping I knowledge I, on data, and you get to comment on that data. Like you're welcome, bro. So, so yeah, thank you. You're you're very you're yeah, welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am level headed, and and witty and sharp <laughs> and quick and sultry and quick. Can somebody please leave me a goddamn positive compliment? I'm, <laughs> he needs it. <laughs> your name has been dropped on every single one of these. I feel like it's all even your though they, even though they misspell it. These are all your family members, except for the one that misspelled your name. There's that a lot. Clearly. A lot of them are misspelling my name. Yeah, it's. <laughs> 
which makes it even worse. But w- <laughs> so which 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 cities are actually projected to come down the most? Do you know? I do actually. Uh, I have a list. Here we go. Did you did you look at the notes? You looked at the notes, didn't you? Yeah, you dirty <laughs> bastard. All right. So uh, Said is uh, the master of segways. The Fred Flintstone of my Barney <laughs> rubble. U.S. cities where home prices are falling fast. An article out by Forbes of August 29th. The list kind of surprised me. I don't, did, you, did any of this surprise you at all? This surprised you? Did, yeah, so the list kind of surprised me. I, I wasn't I expecting think... some of the names on this list. Ready? Oh, some of the names. I mean, a majority of them I expected. All right, well, here we go. Uh, because we've, we've said them before in the past. Uh, I'm not sure. Boise, Idaho, with a current premium of 73%. Mm-hmm. Austin, Texas, followed behind with prices up 68%. Mm-hmm. Along with Ogden, Utah, 65%. Las Vegas, 61%. Atlanta, 58%. Phoenix, 58%. Provo, Utah, 57%. Fort Myers, Florida, 56%. Spokane, Washington, 56%. And Salt Lake City, Utah, 56%. For our top listeners out in Seattle, they're happy that they're not on this list. Yeah, Seattle was safe. Major metropolitan areas, for the most part, were, were safe. It's, it, these are the, really the growth. Mm-hmm. The, the the growth states in a lot of ways atlanta was kind of the one that surprised me a little bit so yeah i did hear uh, during like the pandemic i did hear a lot of people say like there it was popular to move to boise idaho or yeah definitely Lane, definitely like that, austin yeah. texas yeah austin was clearly a move place las vegas was a tax shelter phoenix uh arizona for generally kind of in that space i was i was kind of surprised scott still didn't make the list there mm-hmm. uh but again spokane washington a beautiful beautiful place i why that's so overvalued at the moment maybe mm-hmm. it's a work from home thing a lot a lot there that kind of threw me uh kind of curveballs but to give you an idea the the, the this top list 56 percent to 73 percent overvalued Man, it's, that's it's, the premium. It scares me. It scares me to think about people being underwater and what the possibilities are of what could happen. You know, I find this fascinating. To be honest, people, fascinating. It scares me. I feel. I feel like when people are underwater, what could happen? They could just walk away. So I think that most people, most people got thirty-year mortgages. Yeah, and like we've like we've said at least on one show before that these people are spending more on their mortgages because they bought more house. Mm-hmm. So they're probably going to sell. I don't know that they're going to be underwater, but if you got a 75% loan to value loan in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. you could very easily be underwater at some point. Right. And that's a weird ass sound going on in the background. I don't know what that is. Yeah. yeah that's creepy. Anyway, sorry if you guys heard that. If not, it could just be Saeed making creepy sounds. <laughs> but no, one reason that makes me feel like that they wouldn't be uh, as inclined to potentially walk out or, you know, leave their homes and if they're underwater is, you know, I don't know if you saw that article that I sent in the notes where, where rents are at currently. Yeah, you see uh, that New York hit a new high. New York hit a new high, right? And based on um, ev- there's a eviction lab at Princeton University. Oh, I saw this projection. Yeah, that's right. I don't Dude. think it's aside from you. It's yeah. a huge. It's a huge prediction. In August, evictions were 52 percent above average in Tampa, 90 percent above average in Houston. Yeah. And 94% above average in Minneapolis. So I, I give a little bit of that hesitation because there were moratoriums in a lot of these places. There were eviction moratoriums. There were, but so evictions evictions are, are going, exactly. So these people are getting kicked out. Where are they going to go? Right? Uh, granted. So there, there's there's a whole, this is what I find fascinating about the whole thing though. This is exactly why I find this all fascinating. We, the Great Recession was a pretty easy understanding of what could happen because you knew things were going to blow up. Right. We don't know what's going to blow up this time. We don't know what's going to blow up. There are so many things 
It's a Molotov cocktail uh, of consumer spending still being strong. Even now, it's still strong relative to, to where the debt loads are. Yeah. You've got all these evictions coming up. You've got some really weird things going on in the markets and values of property. And there's there's a behavioral economics component. How will people react? Exactly. When their financial position is challenged. Mm-hmm. How will these things make the human behavioral change that causes some kind of wave in the recession is it good is it going to be foreclosures is it going to be evictions they're going to be forced into change man because i mean you, you i know we throw these percentages around and they, they they may start to sound like they're just numbers right but for some people like this is a huge deal 15 percent increase in rents in just the past 12 months right mm-hmm. if you do that math someone that has two thousand dollars in rent is now paying twenty three hundred dollars thirty percent of cpi right housing costs. housing and exactly and you're like and I know that the the Fed wants to look at the PCE report that doesn't like to take housing uh, into that much of an emphasis. Well, is there is there inflation indicator? I, I disagree right. with that. That that's one of the many reasons I disagree with it. Right. You know. And but I'm like, dude, going from two thousand to twenty three hundred, right? That would be huge for someone to to make up that cost in addition to mm-hmm. everything else with that goes up with inflation. We're talking about food and the it was gas. I mean, you name it. So it's I don't know, man. I feel like tragedies ahead yeah but here's the part that, that that's fascinating though i mean yes tragedies ahead i completely agree but we the same way we look back on the great recession and we say god damn these synthetic mortgage pools that we were putting together that we were selling in the secondary market the over leveraged nature these stated income programs we can point right now to all of the things that were fucked up for the great recession mm-hmm. but we can't identify all of those things yet right now this is a race to recognize yeah a race for us to recognize where the alarms are now if you listen if you listen to someone like peter schiff uh you listen to someone like patrick bet david if you listen to someone like mark zandy if you listen to all these people out there they all have different perspectives they're identifying different things and they could be right they could be wrong they could be a little bit of both but that's what's so fascinating about this is is we're trying to take in as much information as we can mm-hmm. to identify where things are unraveling yeah exactly and it's it's still an unknown it's still very much an unknown and at the same time there are things that are going to change right we know that fed policy is going to change some of the numbers we know Mm -hmm. that there's going to be different prints over time right but how these things impact us yeah i don't think anybody's gotten it down to a science yet i think people are ringing like you've seen patrick by david you referenced referenced him earlier Mm -hmm. he's been ringing the alarm that this is gonna be a deep recession and huge home value changes and everything else but can he articulate why 100 percent? no 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 i mean i don't think it would be i mean from the our, our all of our leaders top economists can't even do it right and they don't agree on it right no one yeah. no one agrees on it so well to that same point i took the liberty of looking up thanks to one of our followers on my social media because you don't have one and you're a douche <laughs> the monthly supply of new houses in the united states new houses not all houses this is new houses mm-hmm. you recall the national association of home builders yes uh came out with their information they were saying it's a little over nine months of supply back then right and the healthy market is four to six months four to six months is a balanced market the current number is 10.9 months wow so I took so the time of looking up the, I think it's the Atlanta Fed. It was St. Louis Fed. Uh, probably Atlanta Fed. Maybe lying. Nope, St. Louis Fed. I lied. Uh, I looked up their numbers and the monthly supply of new houses in the United States as of this poll, which I think was a couple days ago. So August uh, 23rd. 
it was approaching 10.9, so 11. The last time it was over 11, it got to just over 12, was in the middle of the Great Recession, 2008. Mm. So it goes to show you that there are some strong illusions back to that period of time. Now, we know that all recessionary economies don't necessarily have the same catalyst, but there's certainly some data corollaries. Yeah, absolutely. Some things that are very, very, very current. Now, does that mean that all homes are there? No, no. but the all home number we, we know is creeping up. I believe by the time we get to the end of September, mm-hmm. we are going to be at a balanced market as far as inventory goes. Mm. We're already at 3.3, uh, 3.3, I think is our number there. So 3.3 total month supply versus four to six, which is a balanced economy. Right. I think we'll be well above four by the end of September. Yeah, I had a, I actually have a friend who listens to the podcast and was asking me about this over you the weekend. You have friends? It's so I have cute. friends, yeah, who Aww. asked me who asked me about this over the weekend and he was looking at new homes. I'm like, man, not not it like there are concessions that if you if you are looking for a home and you, you need it and you're going to use it for, for a utility like we've spoken about on previous episodes, there are concessions that you should be asking for and that you should be, you know, getting. Certainly from a new home 1000% uh from it's funny. I I heard a seller today actually uh, talking about how he wanted someone to waive contingencies, and the buyer was like, "Nope, nope, Mm-mm. not gonna be able to do it." You gonna, you gonna take my offer or not, homie? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know you. Nah. Don't, I know you don't have any other offers. Yeah, and I'm not saying that because I'm arrogant. I'm saying that because I know the market. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's too soon, but it's yeah, it's, it's true. It's good. Well, there are uh, questions that we ask people to get. Oh yeah, we're, so, try, we're trying to do these every other episode now, just to just to be a little more interactive and engaging. Mm-hmm. So engaging. Let's get any good ones. Was that a really powerful like announcer voice, or was no, it? A little, no, it wasn't good. Yeah, you would know King of Sultry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> How it burns you so bad. It burns me so bad. It, it it bothers every second of my soul. All right. So let's jump in to some of the questions. And before I begin. I would like to point out these are not in any particular order. These are just. Are we going to be addressing all of them? There are some inappropriate questions. I think we should. I think we should address them. All right. Question number one. It uh, from a listener that I know listens frequently. You said no guests. But what about your boy Dave Ramsey? I can tell you that I can extend the offer to Mr. Ramsey. However, I don't think it's probable that he will acknowledge me. He's got a significantly larger base than me, mm-hmm. as well as a larger, fatter ass. Yeah, yeah. I don't like Dave Ramsey. I don't think he'd be willing to come on here and have a debate. He would not be willing to come on here and have a debate. No. Uh, this one. How does the Inflation Reduction Act impact housing market and comments on the Inflation Reduction Act in general? If it's covered in another episode, I'll go listen. I know we did two. We had one that was called the Inflation Reduction Act, and the next one was called the Inflation Dysfunction Act. Dysfunction Act. Yeah. A witty comment by yours truly. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, but, I mean, we've talked about it, and we can briefly touch on it again. I mean, the Inflation Reduction Act is actually only causing more inflation. In the right. near term, it only causes more inflation. It's it's more government spending. Printing money at this point in time is one of the, if not the only thing that really impacts inflation. 
And printing more money uh, for an inflationary economy is not going to help drive the things that we need to down, uh, right. like home values. It home. makes it makes Jerome Powell's job that much harder to reduce inflation, aka rates have to continue to go up. Mm-hmm. And what does that do for affordability in the housing market? It makes it come down. It makes it come down. Now, keep in mind, we are in a declared housing recession before we are in a declared national economic recession, which is typically a year or so behind from the National Bureau of Economic Research. So... In and of itself, as Saeed has graciously pointed out with his sexy and sultry voice, Mm. it's going to continue to keep rates high. And as that happens, affordability is the biggest challenge. And demand without affordability is not demand. So you continue to see this downward pressure on the housing market over time. That's the short answer. See the previous two episodes as we referenced for more colorful details and lots of expletives in those two episodes, actually. Yeah. What do you hope to achieve with your podcast? When will it be, quote, successful, end Ooh, quote? Good question. That's that a good question for you. For me? Yeah, for both of us. But I'd like to hear your answer it's first. It's our podcast. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I, I set out to ever achieve anything, per right. se. I feel like with every day that goes on and we record another episode, it feels like it's successful. I mean, I never walked away. I think we've walked away maybe once or twice feeling like these episodes are good. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. I think for me, the, the biggest imprint that I want to leave is that, number one, I, I want to make sure that we can communicate with no bias. I don't want to, I don't ever feel like we're, we're leaning a certain way other than what the data tells us. Right. And always carry ourselves with a certain level of integrity, right? Yeah. Yeah. Integrity is important. Integrity is important and to for make sure that, man. and to make sure that we're not like other podcasts out there. Dave Ramsey, we're, we're <laughs> directing you to links uh, for our own benefit. So we, we've talked a lot about monetizing and we've chosen not to largely influenced by our boy, Adam over at mind pump, but yeah, uh, we, we're going to continue to push and grow the podcast to the extent that we can. And we're going to self-invest in it like we have today and in, in, in building a studio and painting ourselves. Yeah. And say watching and telling me where to paint. Yeah. I mean, Chris doesn't give me the key to the studio cause he doesn't trust me. I, I trust <laughs> you. You're the keys in my heart, boo. Oh, but no, I mean, with every day that goes on, as long as we can continue to grow this thing and feel like we're providing a good service for people and I don't have social media to get direct feedback, but if you say that people are actually enjoying it and, um, I get, I get at least probably seven or eight DMS a week from people who say, Hey, I listened to the show. I'm one of your five listeners. Yeah. And on, and honestly, it still blows me away. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. And I've had people approach me now in the gym saying, Hey, like I've listened to your podcast. It's really cool. I know. And and for me, what's been really cool about it is I've always, I've I've been in tuned with um, a lot of the stuff in the news, like in the past, but now if when it, where it feels like you're providing like a a cool service for somebody where like they can come to one place and maybe trust everything that we say, you know, and with an unbiased opinion that like I'm taking my my research a little bit more seriously now, because if someone's going to listen, I want to make sure that, you know, I believe in whatever the fuck I'm saying. Wow, rare expletive filled rage. Good job, bro. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate you. That's pound good. It. Yeah, pound pound, I'm gonna pound that. Yeah, yeah. pound that. I'm gonna right pound there. that. Yeah. Speaking of pounding that, uh, <laughs> here's another question: Do you secretly wish you had cool body hair like Saeed? Mm. Wow. How Absol- have they, how have they seen my body hair? Absolutely not. <laughs> I'm not on social media. Yeah, we're not going to go any deeper into that question. Get it? Deeper? <laughs> deeper. All right. How to prepare for potential real estate investment opportunities if you just bought your first home a year ago? Oh, mm. Okay. Well, um, 
there are plenty of people out there who believe in creative finance. I am not that guy. So if you want someone who's going to say, hey, there's creative financing opportunities out there, you can kind of find you know, whatever. What creative finance. Creative financing means you can get seller financing. You can get seller carrybacks to carry part of the debt. You can find hard money lenders out there while you do things like add value, like i.e. renters that you have increased cash flow. Or, mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of any of that. I tend to get the deals at cash flow first. There are plenty of people out there like Pace Morby and Jamil Damji. Jamil's been on the show before. You can check out the previous episodes that do a lot of that, those kind of things. Uh, Jamil's more in the wholesaling space, however. I, I, and I, I would say there, there are plenty of good people out there. I think the simple thing to do is the classic thing to do. You bought a home a year ago and you're able to continue to cash flow. You save and prepare for the next six to eight months. All you need is about, call it thirty-five dollars or $40,000 to get a property in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. If you live on one of the coasts or in a major metropolitan area, you can buy a property in Oklahoma that'll cash flow four or five hundred bucks a month with right. thirty or forty thousand dollars down. Uh, we talked about previous episodes. Uh, I think uh, we've done the show. Some of which I've done solo. Some of which I've done with Saeed. We've talked about some of my investments in the Midwest. And I think if you can aim for that target range, you're going to get plenty of buying opportunities in the next six months. Right now, that might be a little tough for most people um, to save up that kind of money to invest, like in the near future. What are your thoughts on maybe crowdfunding? Syndicating? Yeah. Uh, I don't think the average consumer should do that. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of risks there and a lot of things to know and contracts and SEC. There's a lot, law, of new, a lot of nuance. A lot of nuance. There. But I do think things like um, if you wanted to buy a, quote, second home, yeah. where you put more, less money down into, in, into an area, it's not considered mortgage fraud if you go into it thinking that that's going to be your second home. And if you subsequently decide to rent it out, that's not wrong either. It right. just has to be typically 50 miles away from your current primary residence mm. to be a second home. Damn, dropping knowledge. Yeah. Uh, that being said, there are plenty of ways to look for it, uh, look for those opportunities and put less money down, mm-hmm. but it needs the cash flow if that's what you're going to do. Right. You need to be able to rent it out and and that's kind of your primary focus. What I would tell you is if you don't have the money to buy a property right now or you're not sure if you have the money to buy a property right now, look for properties you can identify as a second home and then get to know the submarkets and get to know rental rates. Yeah. If you can put less money down in an area as a second home and you could then rent that property out and still cash flow, mm-hmm. then that might be the best way to go. But right. the only way you're going to know that if you start looking in areas that number one, properties are cheaper. Mm-hmm. And number two, you get to know that market well. Yeah. And do your due diligence on researching what a, a labor team would normally cost. And cause that's where, you know, you can make or lose all your money and see plenty of the episodes we talked about uh my my property management i pay my property manager my sister aka through the franchise uh 10 so i mean right. and i'm giving high, up a lot that, yeah that's higher than the average yeah, person but there, there's plenty of opportunities out there um next question nothing off limits okay what type of pants do you wear that hold your giant balls <laughs> that's an easy answer um the reason why you don't typically don't see me on camera from the waist down is i tend to wear kilts yeah <laughs> yeah i'm not that, scottish that, that, it just yeah. protects the junk yeah that protects the junk it just yeah. lets you hang more freely sadly here's the truth of the matter my friends i'm on testosterone replacement therapy and as much hcgs they give you in addition to the testosterone which is supposed to keep your natural testosterone production high the the boys down there shrink a little bit so mm. they're actually not as big as they once were mm. But I still work kills. That might, be, they're, that, they're that might be too much for everybody. Go ahead. Next okay. question. Sorry. Next question. <laughs> On 12-31-2022, what do you think the 30-year conventional owner-occupied rates will look like? Good question. Great question. Well, we know we've said earlier on, on this po- on this episode and maybe on other ones too that our boy Jay Powell said he wants to get JP. JP, the Fed fund rate up to 4% by the end of the year. What that means for mortgage rates? 
How much? How much that more of that gets priced in? So I, I think right now you're starting to see the 10-year move mm-hmm. because the market is starting to expect, and, and Powell's done a good job in this instance of setting the expectations. Yeah. That rates are going to move high and stay high. Yeah. And if that happens, the Fed funds is the rate for people to borrow money. Right. Right. Banks and everybody else. That's their cost of funds. Right. At least one of their sources of funding. If that continues to be high, that means the arbitrage in money that lenders make in giving you a loan needs to be higher. Yes. And the consensus continues to be that if this 4% Fed funds target rate is what happens and the 75 basis point increase happens, you will continue to see upward pressure on mortgage rates, which don't necessarily follow the Fed funds rates pair of pursuit, dollar for dollar. Right. But we are already starting to see the 30-year mortgage prices hit 5.55%, I think, as earlier as recently today. Mm-hmm. That's up from 5.2 something, 0.22%, I want to earlier, say. I think last week it was even as high as 5.7. Was it? Yeah, it yeah. kind of dipped up and down. And it yeah. fell back down to 4 something about a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago. Yeah. These are all normal fluctuations as you see them rise. What you're going to see is like any other graph chart, you'll see, you know, a rise, a dip, a rise, a dip. But as you zoom out farther, it looks like an increase over time. Right. This is what's going to happen. I I, have always said, and I think I said it on previous episodes, we're going to see a 6% handle on mortgage rates by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And I don't see the Fed backing off. Uh, Neither do I. So I I think you see a six handle on the 30 year conventional product by the end of the year. I think you're already seeing seven handles on non-owner occupied product. That is conventional financing. Yeah, I agree. So you're already seeing that now. So if that gives you any indication of the of the risk, there'll be places out there where you can get better rates, but I think on average, those are the numbers you're looking at. Yeah. And you do agree? I agree. Look at that. That's a consensus kid. Mm-hmm. Level-headed. Yeah. <laughs> and sultry. <laughs> Jesus, you're like the perfect man. Real estate investing strategies during a recession. Mm. Okay. So depends on what kind of recession, because this is a housing recession. Yeah, we are currently in a housing <laughs> recession. So I, I think the biggest trick to real estate investing strategies during this period of time is knowing how long to wait and how to be patient. Mm-hmm. A lot of frustration I hear from people is that I've got money, it's sitting in a bank account, it's not earning anything, but it's not losing anything either. It's perspective. I heard a guy today in my father's office, we were setting up a studio. And he was really upset about his days. Like, I had, I had a terrible day. Your dad had a terrible day. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, guys, but guys, without a terrible day, a great day doesn't feel so great. Right. You know, everything was the same. In order to experience joy, you need pain. Flowers need rain. So, in order to have you be level headed and sharp, you need mm-hmm. to have arrogance and stupidity. Yeah. And that's what I bring to this show. You're I welcome. offset your yang. Yeah, there you go. With my yin. <laughs> <laughs> so the moral of the story here is is that you have to understand that that the best strategy during a recessionary economy like this is to hold for as long as you can being you know cognizant of the market to buy on a dip and buy at a good deal relative to what your financial position is and that's different for everybody holding cash right now is not losing money and mm-hmm. if the stock market eviscerated about 70 billion dollars in value on monday mm-hmm. after Powell's commentary actually it was Friday, I believe, after Powell's commentary, and you didn't lose any money because you were holding cash. That's great. And people are saying, okay, well, cash, the dollar is going down, blah blah blah. Inflation going up means there's less value in that. Yeah, possibly, but the only true hedge for inflation is to keep making the investments you normally would make. Yeah, and making them strategically, expecting and planning for the recessionary economy. This is where a tremendous amount of wealth has been made. If you were smart and talented in 
uh, investment ambidextrous, if you will. During the recession of the COVID pandemic, mm -hmm. you bought real estate at lows. Right. With really low interest rates. And then you took that money and you said, okay, I'm going to refinance, pull some money out and, you know, stabilize these properties, get some cash flow. And then you bought into the market coming out of the pandemic pandemic, and took some of those rises up and right. sold, you know, before they, the values went down. But not everybody can predict the future like that. Right. I'm a real estate guy primarily, mm -hmm. and I do, they do have stocks and stock and everything else. And I, I do some other alternative investing, cryptocurrencies, say his favorite, but he won't talk about it because he's afraid he gets tabbed. <laughs> but what I'll tell you is, is I look for strategic opportunities to buy real estate. And I, like I've told everybody else in the show, I wait three months, I'm kind of pacing the market and mm -hmm. I'm absolutely going to continue to buy again. If I find something off market, which is what my last deal was where, I, you know, somebody calls and says, Hey, I want to, I want to sell this property quickly. What can you do for me? I'm going to take those opportunities right now if they're a good deal. Right. Otherwise, I'm holding, I'm waiting, I'm assessing the market, and I'm going to jump right the hell back in when the right opportunity presents itself. Yeah. And I'll probably share with everybody in the podcast when I do. Good. So, uh, yeah. I'm taking the same advice I'm giving everybody else. Thoughts on 100% commission broker. I actually messaged uh, the gentleman and asked him for clarification. Yeah, I didn't understand that question either. Yeah, so he he's, um, he's new in the real estate game, and... He wants to know, you know, what kind of brokerage would be best for him. 100% commission brokerage is one of those brokerages where they give you 100% of the commission. There's usually a desk fee or a broker fee or some type of flat fee they have, and they give you 100% of the commission. So you're paying it somewhere because the broker has to make money for the, the relative risk. Right. But if you're a new agent and you have to go under a broker, number one, try to get your broker's license as soon as possible. Some states require two years. It depends on what your states are. Follow those rules. Get, get a broker's license as soon as possible. Be independent. I believe in independent status. Right. If you're just starting out, I believe it's worth it to give up some of your commission to work for a brokerage with an amazing training program. Mm -hmm. I've heard great things about EXP's training program. They have some digital stuff that you can kind of look at and, and glean from. The, a lot of the larger brokerages that are still working right now that are doing well, uh, Compass not being one of them, uh, would be able to teach you. Compass has rumored to have great technology and some good training programs, but I don't know if they're great for somebody who's starting out. Right. So, I mean, there's a, there's a life lesson there, right? Don't be short-sighted and look for, you know, the quick buck. You mean, you, you'll make more money down the road if you, could, if you learn how to do it the right way. Yeah, I would say spend your time learning as much as you can. Spend less. If you have to give up 20% of your commission or 15% or even 10% or whatever it might be to have a better training program and start learn as much as you can from the larger scaled brokerage shop give up that commission to have access to the training programs the material the mentorship and then start going to 100 percent, you know brokerage type situation where you get 100 percent of your commissions i don't think the economics work in your favor unless you're 100 percent confident or that particular brokerage has a training program and leadership that you can rely on to train you and typically when they're 100 they don't have that right uh let's go to the next question Crypto markets below one trillion. I would love to answer that question. I but can't. No, I mean, the crypto bros are going to come after us, man. What I'll say is this, is that I, I don't necessarily know that I'm a believer in cryptocurrencies per se. I, I, um, I still think Bitcoin has a future. I think Ethereum has a future for their practical applications and usage. But I believe heavily in Web3. Mm-hmm. And I think on a future episode, we should go into what I believe in Web3, what Web3 really is versus the Web2 that we're kind of really using and monopolizing right now in its current format. Mm -hmm. And really what the blockchain and Web3 represent for the future of the internet. And I say that with, within the context of we, we all use 
email. We all use the internet browsers. We all access these things. It has become very commonplace and normal for us. Mm-hmm. And over time, Web3, virtual reality access you know, to the networks and engaging with people over time will become more and more ingratiated into our culture. And there are some brands that are doing it right. And despite NFT values falling so much and, and metaverse real estate falling so much, there are some very, very hope, high profile projects in brands that I absolutely still believe in in the Web3 space. I'm not necessarily saying cryptocurrencies or NFTs. What I'm saying is the technology behind it. Yeah. I, I think there's a tremendous amount of future value in and something worth sharing on a future episode. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, cryptocurrencies being an investment. I've heard, I've heard this term thrown around and I, I did some research looking into it. So not too long ago, we talked about how every time uh, crypto has gone down, it's gone down somewhere between like 80, around 80%, mm-hmm. right? And it was not like two months ago, it was hanging around 14,000, 15,000. Now it went back up to like 20,000. And now you're seeing it's come back down again. Term that I saw being thrown around there was this is your classic example of a dead cat bounce. <laughs> I never heard that term before. Is that a never? Thing? Oh, it's a thing. You, and yeah. uh, if you hear the explanation behind it, it's it's genius. So if if a, if a parent's standing next to their kid and they see a cat fall from a, a building and the cat falls and it hits the floor, right? Mm-hmm. And then the kid asks the parent, "Oh my God, did the cat die?" And then the cat bounces back up. They go, like, "Oh no, look, it's alive." He thinks that the cat is still alive because it came back up, but really it's just a dead cat bounce. And the cat- as a person who has a cat, yeah. I find this example offensive. <laughs> well, that that's the term. Part. I mean, it's on it's on Investopedia. So, um, anyways, <laughs> so Investopedia is now a, a resource for for cats bouncing off. No, the no, but I'm just saying this is a classic example. How long of do you hate the animals? Say, I love animals. You really? Yeah. It doesn't sound like you do in this I'm example. A do- I'm, a, I'm a dog person. All right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have a dog. Yeah. No, my mom has a dog. I take care of the dog. That all does the time. not mean you're a dog person, I have, dude. Dude, we can't have that, dogs that right now. We have dog two, adjacent. We have two. <laughs> we have two little kids. We can't have another. That's like another. You know kid. how many families across the United States have two little kids and have a dog? What yeah, is wrong with you? Do you know how busy our life is? I can't. I would have to take man. I would have to take care of this dog like as if it's a third kid, and we don't have that kind of time right now. You. We don't have. I would love to have another. You work from home. I care too Man? much. I care too much to have another dog. That's the problem. I don't, another dog. When was the first one? Your mom's dog is not your dog. Stop counting that as that, your dog. That's my dog. That is yeah. not your dog. But anyway, so this mm. is a classic example of a dead cat bounce where the the value came down and just, it crept back up. But it's really now just you got to worry come. about cryptocurrency and animal lovers killing you. Yeah. Oh, I no. mean, it's oh, just no. Peter coming after me. Peter's gonna come right after you, bro. Good luck trying to help you help yourself. <laughs> All right. Well, the last question, I'm not sure I want to read, but in in the... Uh, what is it? Under the auspice of being transparent, it's why are you so arrogant? Oh. <laughs> I'm assuming they're referring to you, and not me. No, no, no. Come on. I have nothing. You're the multi-millionaire. I'm, oh, stop, dude. <laughs> Shit. Are you going to tell a story right now? Yeah, go <laughs> ahead. Me in yeah, trouble? yeah, yeah. I had a conversation with my dad today, and... <laughs> He referred to me as a multi-millionaire and asked me why I wasn't buying something. And I said to him, well, dad, has it ever occurred to you the reason why I'm a multi-millionaire is because I don't buy that, those kind of things? Yeah. And he looked at me and he looked at me dead in the face. And I know what he was thinking. Yeah. I could feel it in my bones. He was thinking, why are you so arrogant? Why are you so arrogant? <laughs> <laughs> you always have an answer for everything you just can't it's, let it be it's not that i can let it be it's, 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 well i don't want to buy what he wants me to buy what he thinks i should buy out of somebody else's obligation like i want to buy shit because 
I feel like. So why couldn't you give him that response instead of saying, uh, I am the way I am because I don't do these things? No, because it's, it's like a conundrum, right? It's like a, it's like a logical fallacy. It doesn't matter how I answer the question. I'm still going to be an arrogant asshole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you could be. Why didn't you buy it? Because I didn't want to. Arrogant asshole. Yeah. Why didn't you buy it? Because I'm broke. You're a liar and an arrogant asshole. <laughs> Why didn't you buy it? Because I didn't have time. You're a liar and an arrogant I, asshole. You see how this like, all goes? I feel like you should buy it. I'm not. But there's absolutely no fucking way okay, I'm buying if any, if anyone's, no If way. anyone's listening that knows exactly what he's talking about, I'm telling him to buy it. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Come on, your dad listens to the show. <laughs> My dad does not listen to the show. <laughs> True story. And we'll end the show on this tonight. Okay. Because I know you guys are getting long in the tooth. My dad legitimately was telling me that he was listening to the show. And he would tell me all these things. And I'd be like, is he listening? Is he not listening? Like, that doesn't sound like. <laughs> you're trying to, like, you're trying to gauge him? Yeah. Entire show. Like, he's like, I listen to every single one. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, dad, like, you listen to every single one of the show? And he goes, yeah. How long are they? He's like, you know, a couple seconds. Oh, my. And I'm like, what do you mean, a couple seconds? You, you, watch, you listen to the intro? <laughs> no. What? He thought the social media clips were the show. Oh, so the, the 15 we, second clips. The 15 second clips we posted on social media for this show. And I was like, yeah, yeah, dad, thanks. Thank you for listening to the show. I mean, I can't explain to what a podcast is now. I'm at this point, I'm like, thanks for supporting. Yeah. I appreciate you. Yeah. But I don't, <laughs> thank, though. Yeah, thank you, Mr. <laughs> yeah. We appreciate you. All right, everybody. That is a wrap for the show tonight. It is always a pleasure bringing you the arrogance and sexiness. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm sorry. My arrogance and Saeed's and my sexiness. sexiness. And yeah. now that you know we actually do read the reviews, go ahead and leave a five-star review. An honest five-star review. An honest one. Yeah. And can someone please give me a goddamn compliment? Jeez. I deserve it. No. Can you please say yes? <laughs> no, you I guess. Dick. I bet you they're all related to you. Bye. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, so be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.